reading. We're reading from the Bible today from Luke 6, 27 to 42. You can find the text on page 6 of your bulletin. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your own, uh, that is in your eye? When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. La lectura de hoy viene del Evangelio de Lucas, capítulo 6, versículos 27 al 42. Pero a ustedes que me escuchan les digo, amen a sus enemigos, hagan bien a quienes los odian, bendigan a quienes los maldicen, oren por quienes los, quienes los maltratan. Si alguien te pega en una mejilla, vuélvele también la otra. Si alguien te quita la camisa, no le impidas que se lleve también la capa. Dale a todo el que te pida, y si alguien se lleva lo que es tuyo, no se lo reclames. Traten a los demás tal y como ustedes quieren que ellos los traten a ustedes. ¿Qué mérito tienen ustedes al amar a quienes los aman? Aun los pecadores lo hacen así. ¿Y qué mérito tienen ustedes al hacer bien a quienes les hacen bien? Aun los pecadores actúan así. ¿Y qué mérito tienen ustedes al dar prestado a quienes pueden corresponderles? Aun los pecadores se prestan entre sí, esperando recibir el mismo trato. 
Ustedes, por el contrario, amen a sus enemigos, háganles bien y denles prestado sin esperar nada a cambio. Así tendrán una gran recompensa y serán hijos del Altísimo, porque Él es bondadoso con los ingratos y, los, y malvados. Sean compasivos así como su Padre es compasivo. No juzguen y no se les juzgará. No condenen y no se les condenará. Perdonen y se les perdonará. Den y se les dará. Se les echará en el regazo una medida llena, apretada, sacudida y desbordante. Porque con la medida que midan a otros, se les medirá a ustedes. También les contó esta palabra, parábola. ¿Acaso pueden un ciego guiar a otro ciego? No caerán ambos en el hoyo. El discípulo no está por encima de su maestro, pero todo el que haya completado su aprendizaje, a lo sumo llega al nivel de su maestro. ¿Por qué te fijas en la astilla que tiene tu hermano en el ojo y no le das importancia a la viga que tienes en el tuyo? ¿Cómo puedes decirle a tu hermano, hermano, déjame sacarte la astilla de tu, de lo, del ojo, cuando tú mismo no te das cuenta de la viga en el tuyo? Hipócrita, saca primero la viga de tu propio ojo y entonces verás con claridad para sacar la astilla del ojo de tu hermano. Thank you, Randall and Daniel. All right, let's pray together as we look at this passage. Jesus, we're asking that you would um, open our eyes to see and that you would remove whatever obstructs our vision of you and of what you're trying to communicate to us through these words. We pray that you would give us receptive hearts because we could see all that we need to see, but we could also still run or close our eyes again. So we're praying for the humility that makes us hungry to change, to grow, to learn. Even when you tell us things that are hard to hear or show us things that are hard to see. But help us to trust you that you're all about life. You're all about resurrection. We pray for a little bit of that even now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a sports fan, you understand that it's a big deal when a team finds a new coach. So, of course, there's great curiosity over what coach Andy Reid might be able to do with the nightmare that is the Kansas City Chiefs. There is a big question looming large over Knoxville, Tennessee. How will the Lady Volunteers do in the post-Pat Summit era? And even with the hockey playoffs still in progress already, big questions surrounding the Washington Capitals. Can new coach Adam Oates turn around the team and their history of choking yet again in the playoffs? And I won't even get into the Lakers and their coaching issues, right? You see, because in sports... A coach brings with him or her more than just a new playbook. Uh, they bring with them uh, a new team philosophy, a, a new set of team values, a whole new strategy and blueprint for how they're going to win. A new coach comes in and says, now, from now on, this team is all about defense. Or they come in and they say, this team's identity is now built around teamwork. What happens in this locker room stays in this locker room. 
a new coach, and you could probably say the same thing about a new president, a new mayor, a new CEO, brings in a whole new administration, as it were. New values, new priorities, new game strategies, a new team identity. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing in Luke 6, where he's teaching what's often called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. He's saying a new coach is in town. In fact, he uses the language of a king. And he says there's a new administration that's breaking into this broken world. A new kingdom, a new set of values, a new set of priorities, a new blueprint for life, a new strategy and a new character for how relationships are supposed to operate and how the world is supposed to run. It's broken now, but the coach, the king, is now here to fix it, to rescue it. And so he starts off teaching what's often known as the Beatitudes, These blessed, blessed are the weak, blessed are the poor, the powerless, the humble. These are the ones who are now celebrated in this new administration, this new team. These are the ones that are honored in the values, according to the values of the kingdom of God. It's a total surprise. This new administration, this new world order in society that Jesus has come to build. And now here in verse 27 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is starting to apply some of these values to ordinary life. What does it look like? When the coach starts to take charge and to bring people on board with these new priorities and this new way of living, these new core values, where's the first place that Jesus applies this vision? And it's here. How you handle conflict and opposition in your relationships. Maybe it's a surprising thing. Of all the places he could have gone to talk about the transforming power of God here on earth, where does he go? To your fights, your arguments, your skirmishes and squabbles, maybe your blows, if that's your cup of tea. Maybe so. He's telling us that when the values and the priorities of God's kingdom, of the gospel of grace, really starts to break into your life, you ought to start to fight differently, better, fight well. So here's the big question for us. Whether if it's with your spouse or your roommate, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, how have you been fighting lately? Have you even reflected and thought about that question at all? Maybe you don't know how to work things out with a friend or a coworker. Maybe there's a person that you're always bumping heads with. You just don't get along, not naturally, at least. Here's where God loves to show up when we run out of our natural resources in our relationships. Maybe you're growing weary from recurring conflicts in marriage. Or maybe with family members. Maybe you're estranged from a person that you know you love or at least that you know you ought to love. 
And even in a community and a church like this, as we mature and grow over time, as we move past simply being polite or exchanging surface pleasantries, as we actually get into each other's lives, as we grow close enough to actually have differences and to have something to say about it, we ought to see ourselves bearing the fruit of good conflict management, fighting well by the grace of God. We're going to look at this passage across two weeks, this week and next week. Next week, we see Jesus answering sort of this question of, well, what do you do when you are wronged, when you are sinned against, when someone blows you over? The first two paragraphs of this passage, we see Jesus dropping words like, love your enemies, be merciful, judge not, condemn not, forgive Give Maybe words that are hard to hear, depending upon what sort of situation you might be in today. We're going to look at forgiving and loving others, even when they hurt you. That's next week. Today, we're going to look at this. What are you supposed to do when you are the person wronging someone else? And we're going to focus on that final paragraph there. Verses 39 to 42. And we're going to look at this basically in two parts. Three bad habits that we tend to bring to conflict. Three bad habits we bring to our fights. And secondly, five good habits that we can cultivate as the grace of God starts to change us and change our lives, change our fights. So first, can I just say, I'm with you learning through this. It's, it's one of those humbling things to have to talk and teach on conflict when your wife is sitting about 10 feet away from you. And I may not even look at her. This, no, uh, she can nod or shake her head or I have this wonderful point and she's looking at me like, hello, where has that been, right? Uh, it's humbling. I'm growing with you. We're in this together. Let's see what Jesus tells us. Three bad habits. The first one is this, that I believe that you, the person I'm fighting with, I bring in this belief that you always have a bigger sin problem than I do. Habit number one, I always believe You've got the bigger issue than I do. You're bringing more crud to the table than I am. You're more the cause of this conflict than I am. You've got a bigger problem than I've got. You need a savior more than I do. Let me read verses 39 to 42 again. He also told them a parable, which is simply a story or analogy, metaphor with a certain lesson. It says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. 
Jesus invites us to think about our fights, our arguments, our disagreements with each other by calling to our memories or recalling the experience of getting something stuck in your eye. Has it happened to you lately? Right? It doesn't even have to be a big thing. A speck of dust, maybe something flies in your face, maybe a piece of dirt. Could be anything. Even the smallest thing gets in there, especially if you wear contact lenses like I do, and suddenly you cannot see. It doesn't take much. You're blinking crazy. You're making the ugly face, trying to get it out of your eye, and you're sort of trying to flush it out. Jesus says, when we get into fights... We tend to look across to the other person. We assume that we can see perfectly clearly, but we look at the other person and say, you've got a vision problem that I don't have, and I'm going to help you with it. We'll get to that second part in a second. We're very sure that that other person is the one that's blinking, that has obstructed vision, that cannot see what's really going on. Jesus is drawing our attention to our natural self-righteousness and critical hearts in our fights. We always assume, I'm right and you're wrong. We always believe the other person is a bigger sinner than I am. And you're always sure that you're righteous and the other person is the one that needs to change. The other person's sin is always worse than yours. Their flaws are always bigger than yours. Their mistakes are always more visible than yours. Jesus is really getting after our pride. He's saying, you think you can see perfectly well. You think you have no problems. You think the other person is the only one bringing problems to the table. We always believe this when we fight. Secondly, the second bad habit that we always bring is this belief that I therefore need to fix you or change you. Jesus says in verse 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye. Remember, I've already concluded that I'm in a position of moral authority here, right? You're the problem. You're the one with the weaknesses. You're the one that's screwed up here. So now let me tell you how you need to change. Let me help remove from your vision what you cannot see. Let me help you change. Your sin, your selfishness, your character flaws... And so, this is what we do. We yell. Or we nag, pointing out the different ways that person has a problem, blind to our own. Or we list off their wrongs. Or maybe we lecture them. (laughs) Maybe we tell them in some objective language, well, let me explain to you what, what is wrong with you. And you're sort of this psychoanalyst on the side here in the middle of your fight. Or maybe we withdraw and just ignore the person. Uh, You know, which can also be a subtle way of thinking that's going to affect change in a person's life. If I just leave them alone, maybe they'll get better. Or maybe placating the person, you know, where you're groveling and maybe even saying, oh, I'm so terrible, I'm I'm so sorry. You don't really mean it sincerely. 
But that also can be a way in which we're trying to change the other person or fix the situation. I think the problem is always over there in you, and so therefore I'm always trying to fix and change you. But Jesus points out, thirdly, bad habit, but I don't realize that I'm actually the one that's blind, and I'm more likely to do more harm than good. Verse 41, Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? I mean, Jesus is sort of making this amusing comparison. He's exaggerating here. But he's saying, look, the other person that you're making a big deal out of actually has the smallest piece of sawdust in their eye. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. He knows a little bit about how wood gets into your eye. The other person has a little piece of sawdust while you actually have this massive tree sticking out of your eye and you can't even see it. You're more culpable, more guilty than you dare to believe and you're pointing across the table and saying, they're the fault. They're the reason for this fight. They're the reason why we can't get along. Do you hear the the arrogance, the presumption, the self-deception that's in there? That we're not only blind to our sin, we are blinded by our sin. Our arrogance, our self-righteousness, in this radical sort of way. It's so obvious to anyone else that would see you with this big old log sticking out of your eye. And everyone can see it, apparently, but you. And by you going over to the person and trying to help them out, you're blind. And so it's sort of like going, you know, having a blindfold around you and a person has a piece of sawdust in their eyes and you get out a piece of tweezers and you can't see, but you're trying to get it out of their eye. You're asking for trouble. It's dangerous. You're trying to fix the person. You're trying to solve the issue. You're trying to even fight well. But as long as you believe that you're right and they're wrong, That they need a savior and you don't. You're more likely to make a mess out of the situation. You're more likely to harm the person with further sin and selfishness and even do harm to yourself. This is why Jesus says in verse 39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? One person has a piece of sawdust in their eyes and the other person has a big old log in your eyes and both of you are eyes tearing and blinking and not able to see you're going to fall into a hole trying to change the other person fix the other person not unless you first see yourself as the one that needs the grace of God and this is what Jesus gets at here In verse 42, the second half, he says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Jesus is inviting us to something that you might call log removal. What does he mean by that? Quickly, five things and then we're done. We'll talk about it some more. Five keys to good log removal, good habits that we can cultivate Number one, go to God. 
You're in the middle of a fight. You're in the middle of an argument. You're in the middle of a disagreement with a person. Number one, go to God. You have to start here. To see that you have a fat log in your eye. That you are a guilty contributor to the fight. That you stop pretending that you're not a sinner. Jesus uses this word hypocrites, which actually was an ancient word for actors. He's saying, look, take off the mask. Remove the makeup and the costumes. Just come as you are. Come naked. Come just authentically as a sinner that's desperate for the healing grace of God. Stop faking it. Start facing your wrongs because Jesus has indeed carried your guilt and your shame. And the more we start to believe that, the more we're not afraid to look at ourselves honestly. To be able to say, I do do that. I do actually have a bad attitude sometimes. I do actually snap really sharply. And I don't even realize it sometimes, but I'm starting to. You know what? I really do struggle to give people the benefit of the doubt. The minute I hear that someone's done something and it affects me, I'm so quick to impugn their motives and think the worst of why they did that. And I can start thinking these things and confessing these things and be honest about these things because I know that God gives mercy for these things. Hallelujah. That God gives grace That God forgives our sins and He does it through Jesus. Who really was the only one who never ever had a single speck in His eye. No sin. No selfishness. Not for one minute a perpetrator of any fight or argument that was making Him culpable of sin. The Jesus who came on a rescue mission saying, Brother, Sister, let let me take that junk out of your eye. And let me take it upon myself. All your logs, all that heavy hardware, put it on myself that I might take the judgment that you deserve for all of your sin and all of your selfishness and all of your self-righteousness and all of your arrogance. This Jesus who took our logs upon himself and threw himself into the pit of hell that you and I deserve. Here is a God of mercy who invites you to a place of safety so that you can actually start looking inside and say, yup, it's worse than I thought, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not what I ought to be. But I am changing by the grace of God. Jesus here is really talking about dismantling our pride and restoring humility in our conflicts. A sober and honest assessment of the sinful heart that I always bring to every fight and every disagreement. 
And Jesus is saying, look, if you actually are growing in the gospel, you will start to see that your sin is starting to look bigger and bigger to you than the other person's. That's part of what he's getting at. Look, if you have even a small little nugget of something and you stick it right in the middle of your eye, it's going to look like a mountain to you, isn't it? This is part of what he's getting Everything to you, if you're honest about your sin, your own problems, your own weaknesses, your own character flaws should look like a big old fat log. Especially in comparison to the sins of other people. Jesus is inviting us to this sort of dismantling humility. But we have to start by going to God first. Then, secondly, number two, honestly admit your part of the wrong. Remember, one of Jesus' main points here is to focus on ourselves because that's usually the very last thing that we do. He says, focus on yourself. He isn't saying the other person has done nothing wrong. Yes, there is a splinter over there. There is, in fact, dust in their eyes that needs to be treated. But he's saying, start by finding out what you have contributed to the fight. Start by confessing and being honest with the other person about what you have done wrong. Look for the log in your own eye. Rarely, rarely in conflict are we ever perfectly innocent of wrongdoing. Even if you didn't start the fight, oftentimes we've done a heck of a lot to escalate the fight or to prolong it either in the tone with which we speak or the ways in which we've brought in more arguments or defenses or an inability to listen or to engage with the other person. Identify the part that is your fault. Even if in your estimation you're only responsible for 25%, let's say, you're like, well, I'm pretty sure objectively they're responsible for most of it. Take your 25, your 10%, your 40% and deal with that. Come humbly. Come honestly. And to say to the person, I was wrong. Name it. Be specific. The things you've done, the attitudes of your heart, the mentality, the feelings that you've harbored. And to say to the person, I was wrong. And in fact, I deserve punishment from you. True confession acknowledges not just, hey, will you please sweep this under the rug and ignore this? True confession to a person says, I do actually deserve you to punch me in the face here. But I'm asking that you would not. Not because that's justice. Not because I can demand that of you. But because I'm pleading for mercy, for forgiveness from you. I'm asking for your mercy. And when we start to do that, you might come to realize that you're more responsible for what went on than you think. You started off with 25 or maybe 10 or maybe you're just getting with one, starting there. And you start to realize, wow, actually, it was more like 50 or 60 or 70. I don't know how many times when I've reflected on my conflicts with Paula, how putting aside for a second who's responsible for the fight itself, where I can see and detect a definite moment 
where I decided to say something knowing that if those words came out of my mouth, that it would take this thing to the next level. (laughs) Sort of, you know, a little bit of nuclear warfare, right? Where you have a split-second decision there to say, am I really going to say this? Okay, I'm going to say this. Well, you know, last time. And then it's over. And then the next two hours, you're screwed, right? (laughs) You're working through stuff, and you're having to come back to it. Look, when we're honest with ourselves, we can actually see the ways in which we're far more responsible, typically, than we think we are. And at that moment, again, the focus is on ourselves. It doesn't mean that the other person may not have things to confess on their side. It may even be 75%. It may even be 99 But in this moment, for now, we have to trust the Holy Spirit to convict them of their wrongdoings. That's not our job. And I've been so encouraged by a few times where I've actually seen in specific relationships where I was just on the verge of wanting to tell the person X, Y, Z thing that I feel like is going on in their life. And there is a place to confront and tell, and we'll get to that later on. But where I felt led to just wait and pray for them and so excited to see in a couple weeks the person come around and say, you know what, will you forgive me? And for them to list off exactly the thing that I had on my heart. God coming through. God convicting people's hearts so that I don't have to be the prosecutor all the time. It takes faith to believe that though. We want to make our case. It takes faith. But believe that God is working in the other person's life as well. Number three, avoid making excuses. Avoid making excuses. Watch out for but apologies. That's with one T. And if apologies. In other words, what's a but apology? Uh, It's an apology that sounds like this. Um, I I know I called you an ugly heifer, but I had a really bad day at work. (laughs) You know, I know I yelled at you, but did you see how long the line at the metro station was? And I was so irritated when I walked in the door. Right, these ways. <laughs> these ways that we bring in excuse after excuse after excuse that totally undermines our genuine heart of repentance. I was wrong to kick your chihuahua, but you know, you always roll your eyes at me, and frankly, that dog really needs to get out of the house. Right? What's an if apology? This is classic Washington, D.C. And if apology sounds like this, if anyone was offended by what I said, I'm sorry. Which is another way of saying, if you were morally stronger or had thicker skin and therefore were not offended by what I said, then I'm not guilty of anything at all. I mean, do you hear it? We use this language all the time. We don't even realize what we say. I'm sorry if I hurt you. If I hurt you? I had to put this one in practice. Some of you may remember. I actually, right here, needed to issue an apology last year. And I wanted to be careful, and you can remember it if you want or whatever. We don't need to go through the details again. (laughs) But I wanted to be careful on this very point. 
Because I actually did get a chance to speak to a number of different people. And many, many people said, actually, what you said didn't offend me at all. I found it funny. But as I was honest with myself and I saw my lack of judgment and some of the sin that was actually motivating why I said the things that I said, I said, no, it was wrong, period. Nobody might have heard it or felt it or been offended or felt sinned against or anything, but I still need to apologize, not if, but because it was wrong. We need to learn how to approach people like that. No if apologies, no but apologies, no over explaining. Wise teacher once said, you know, if, if your apology is going on too long, it's probably cluttered with a lot of excuses, a lot of explanation. Well, this is why I did this, and this is, you need to have more background here. Let me give you some context and let me explain, right? Avoid making excuses. Number four, express your desire to grow. I don't mean here that you're promising, I'll never do this again, which is not a realistic assessment of your heart. You're a worse sinner than you dare realize. You're loved more than you dare hope. But you're a big sinner. And so to promise, I'll never do that again, well, that's just not realistic and that's just not honest. But still to be able to say, I will strive together with you to do better, to love you, to serve you, to grow in this area. I'm repenting. I'm going to God. Will you walk with me before God? And we will grow together. This is an important part of log removal as we're talking with other people. And number five, finally, serve the other person. Serve the other person. Help remove their Spec. Remember, Jesus does say, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So Jesus doesn't say you don't ever, ever address another person's wrong, or that a person never does any wrong against you. He's saying, as long as you are coming with arrogance and self-righteousness and no humility about your own sin at all and no sense of confession, you will never be able to talk to them about their wrong rightly. And you've experienced this in your conflict. You're trying to tell a person, quote-unquote, objectively about what they've done wrong, and you're so angry, you're wondering why they're getting angry back. When we're humbled, when we're deeply humbled, when we're starting to say, I've got a bigger log than you do in my eye, then Jesus says you're able to start to see clearly. And then you might actually be able to help, to love, gently, carefully, to be able to address the other person's need, speaking the truth in love. Word of wisdom, maybe a little bit later. Right? It might be a separate conversation where you wrap back around, right? Where you're not saying, well, you know, I really genuinely ask for your forgiveness for yelling at you. But can we now talk about what your problem was in this situation, right? Give it time, give it space, both for your heart and for the other person. But it's good to be able to circle back around and say, look, is there anything we can do to avoid this fight next time? 
Or is there anything that I can do better? Anything else that I need to repent of that I haven't yet mentioned to you? Will you dare to invite that? And take yourself down a road of further humility. But keep in mind, again, Jesus' point. You'll never do this well. You'll never really be able to reconcile well and to work things out well unless you start by admitting that you're a sinner that's saved by the grace of God alone. So what do you think? What do you think? Have you, dear friends, been focusing on a speck or splinter in someone else's eye and totally neglecting the log in your own eye. What can it look like for you to spend a little time giving attention to the sin of your own life in your heart? To evaluate honestly and humbly what you have been contributing or what you will contribute in future conflicts to this fight. To bring it to God, to receive His forgiveness, to be humbled by it all, to come back to the person, to confess and ask for forgiveness without excuses, without explanation that tries to get yourself off the hook or that brings it back to blame shifting. And that humbly then you can walk together as fellow sinners helping each other to grow in life and love. What can this look like in your life, in your office or your workplace or wherever you are day to day in the home or in the church, certainly in the neighborhood? Can God give us grace to fight well? Jesus says he does. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your kindness to us. And we're praying that you would give us help, practical wisdom, practical grace in different areas of relational conflict. Help us to repent well. Help us to humble ourselves. And only you can do that, Jesus, as you show us your love, compassion, gentleness, kindness. Show it to us again. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.